good morning, everybody. I'm, uh, I'm Thomas Katsambas. I'm a partner with Reed Smith in London. And I uh, couldn't be happier to be here in person with suits and tie and everything and, um, and uh, be back on the road and, and seeing uh, a lot of familiar faces. Um, our panel is going to talk about uh, consolidation in the shipping market, M&A and consolidation. Um, a topic that um, you know we've routinely touched over over past conferences uh, here at Capital Link, and um, has been um, discussed greatly in light of private equity investment in shipping, uh, in light of some transactions that we have seen in the past few years. Um, but I think for the most part, most would agree that it still remains um, a, an elusive target for the most part. So. Um, with me today, we have uh, Nitin Mehta, uh, CFO and Head of Strategy at GMS and CEO at Lila, Ship, uh, Lila Global, um, Jeffrey Pryvor, uh, CFO at International Seaways, Michael Kirk with RMK Finance, and Errol Sarikaya with uh, Tufton Oceanic, um, and we'll be able to hear perspectives from uh, different uh, participants, let's say, in the market. Um, but as, as we get started, I'd like, uh, as an initial commentary from, um, uh, from our panelists, uh, what do they think that the biggest roadblock is currently for, uh, for um, a greater consolidation? Uh, Jeff? Uh, well, I, I think some of the roadblocks that were there are, are less roadblocky than they were. Uh, uh, when we traditionally spoke about consolidation and shipping in the past. We thought social issues were the biggest uh, roadblock often, how to work out uh, those details of board and, and management, things like that. I think that though there's, there's evidence that that's less of a concern and, and, and um, you know, there's more of a path towards getting deals complete. You know, I, I know you, your intro said there's, we're still frustrated by the lack of consolidation. I, I, begged to differ a little bit. We, we completed uh, two big consolidation moves in 2021. One was a stock merger with Diamond S, and the other was a more prosaic, you'd say, acquisition of three, but equally important in a lot of ways, uh, three dual-field new-build uh, ships that will deliver in Q1 uh, on long-term contracts. So you know, we were able to um, overcome any roadblocks and, and get two really solid deals done, and I'm happy to talk more about it. But I think that, that, that to the same old roadblocks are kind of there, but I, I think there's an increasing uh, tendency to or trend to be able to work through it, and, and uh, we will see more and more consolidation as, as time goes on. Yeah, no, thank you for that, and certainly we'll be, we'll be coming back to, to talk a little bit more about um, your transactions. Um, Michael, from, from the advisory perspective, um, how do you uh, view the landscape and, and opportunities? Yeah, I think um, part of the roadblocks. I think. Am I not yeah. on here? Yeah. Try it. Hello. Try it now. Hello. Yeah. yeah. There we go. You're on. I think uh, part of the uh, the roadblocks have been kind of the traditional reasons for M and A is the company's inexpensive. And I think in shipping, it's challenging to buy a company very cheap because they always have the alternative of selling assets. Um, another good reason for M and A is you know synergies, whether on the revenue side or the cost side. I think with shipping, you don't even if you do M&A, it's hard to get an enormous amount of market share. Cost synergies have been somewhat elusive, but I think what we've seen is M&A driven by investors looking for liquidity, 
and creating some some size, size and scale. And I think that's really panned out. You look at the um, the larger companies, they tend to have much better liquidity, which is expected, but they also tend to trade at much better price than AVs. So I think we're seeing sort of the M&A be successful, and I think we'll see more of it going forward. Great. Thank you. Errol, your perspective? Yeah, you know, I, th I think the one the one other element I'd, I'd add with uh, from private equity's mindset is, you know, first and foremost, we're there to, when we make a shipping investment, we're there to invest in a thesis. Um, the management team that we might be backing at any one point in time is, is sort of second to that first calling. And so I think that's why naturally for over the years, um, people have looked to private equity firms as part of their consolidation play to attack those fleets, for lack of a better word. Um, you know, I think the biggest roadblock, Jeff hit on it, Mike, Mike hit on it, and you've seen it begin to, you know, unglue. Shipping companies, by and large part, have traded at a material discount to NAV. So it's just bad math. <laughs> Why would you take stock in a public shipping company and mark your book down when you could sell steel at NAV and distribute cash when you think the thesis is ultimately played out? And so I think as public markets are more receptive, certainly in this warm, healthier climate, you're naturally beginning to see more deals uh, happen. So would you approach from, uh, from an investor standpoint uh, 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 as you underwrite new transactions and so forth and mapping out your exit um, opportunities in a, in, in, a, in a future timeline, you, you suggest that, I guess, you know, selling the assets or monetizing the assets, per se, is, is a more... Um, optimal um, option, uh, option than, than trying to do something at a corporate level as a, is in other deals. For well, example. the big goal would be if you can build a true enterprise and that can trade at a premium 10 AV, well, then you're value accretive through that approach. The problem has been the public markets really haven't been receptive for shipping. Barriers are low. Um, there's many homogeneous fleets with which ultimately have their own impediments we've seen because it's hard to survive the cycles, and so they trade at a discount from that perspective. So I think, again, it comes back to that public mark perspective. The other element that I think is, is working in M&A's favor, a large part of the private equity boom or that thrust of capital invested came around 2013, 2014. We're now eight, nine years into those investments. That's a natural sort of ending fr framework from a investment funds perspective where it reaches that end period where they look to an exit one way or another. So I think you're much more receptive because time, which was your friend for 2016 through 2020, is sort of against you now. Uh, Nathan, your perspective from the, the, the private sort of uh, ownership uh, side of things? Well, as uh, you know, private owners, we are always looking for opportunities. We are uh, counter-cyclical by our thought process. So whenever, right now is not the time when we are looking for a lot of, uh, you know, uh, opportunities to buy. We are expanding. We have, in fact, last one year, we have gone from 12 vessels to 33 vessels. Many of them are tankers, but that space is also getting limited now. So, yes, there is definitely, a, uh, you know, a thought process where we are, we are looking for opportunities, but uh, not many are selling at the level we want them to sell at. So I think it's a bit of a time where we all have to wait. I think we have to wait for the next phase uh, for the market to turn around again and see what opportunities present themselves. But we are definitely in, in there to, to pick up few if, uh, if there are opportunities. So 
anybody who wants to sell or something, we are <laughs> definitely uh, looking for options. Okay, well, look, maybe we can broker a deal uh, alongside the, the panel discussion. Uh, Jeff, coming back to you and, 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 and taking um, Errol's points, uh, I guess, is, is, is getting bigger and, and growing further potentially a solution to correcting the, the discount to NAV uh, of the um, trading of publicly listed shipping companies? Is size and liquidity the, the reason for the discount and, and would correcting that enable more opportunities? Well, I think there's more than one factor behind valuation, uh, for sure. But there's no question in our mind that uh, scale is beneficial. Uh, it, it, there are cost synergies. Uh, that's not the major driving force in shipping M&A, but there are some cost synergies, and then that's helpful so your profit margin can, can go up, or it's most easy to see it in terms of G&A per day, for example going down, uh, pushing DNA per vessel per day. Uh, in terms of uh, size in the capital markets, yeah, I think the way you have to look at it, the way public company management has had to look at their position is we're in a competition for capital. Uh, it, it's tough to get people to invest in shipping and tougher still to get them to come, come to your company if they haven't been invested in it before and it's been trading at a certain value and you think you should be re-rated, well, you know, that, that's a tough mountain to climb and we've been working on it for five and a half years since we were spun off. And I do think that it, it, that it was one of the, I know that was one of the factors behind our decision to double the size of our company with the stock merger with Diamond S last year. And I would say now, a year later, looking back, uh, that, that, that it has been helpful. Uh, the market, we knew that it would be a good deal. And it's, I'm not here to talk our book. It's, it's a, so let's, let's try to draw conclusions that might be helpful going forward. So what, what did we learn? We, we, we thought it would be, we knew it would be a good deal. We, we just didn't know how long it would take. We didn't know the market would stay down that long. But we, to your specific point about size in the capital markets, we were hoping for greater liquidity in the stock. And it didn't happen right away. But a year later, we're now trading an average of like 600,000 shares a day, which is, you know, about uh, uh, between 15 and $20 million. We traded $40 million of stock the other day. That's still small compared to, you know, the amount of Microsoft or Apple or whatever. But for shipping, that's getting into an area where you can attract the long-only investors that, that or the bigger funds that, that need the, that kind of liquidity to invest. So, yes, I think scale. Uh, we have proven out that, that one of the benefits of consolidation for a public company can be uh, greater liquidity and, and better valuation. Uh, to finish the thought, we're probably trading at close to 0.9 times NAV, so we're, we're approaching that uh, that goal of being at least an NAV, and, and that's that's higher than we were a year ago. So. Um, Michael, would, the, would the, the trading share price of smaller listed companies be, you know, kind of, can be, be viewed as an opportunity to create uh, greater consolidation or transactions or see investors um, trying to launch tender offers, et cetera, and take advantage of that discount to NAV, or, or are, are trades like that difficult to materialize? Yeah, I think they're, they are difficult um, because a lot of the smaller owners, you know, have a very large shareholder that, you know, is often management. And again, they, they probably don't want to sell. And, and if their stock is cheap, they always can say to the board, hey, why would we sell for below NAV? I think one of the things that over time is going to become, you know, potentially a little bit more compelling is you're seeing the larger companies not only trade at better 
equity valuations, which is part of their cost of capital, but also able to access debt, you know, at, at much cheaper levels. And that's, you know, that starts to become material when, you know, as Jeff said, shipping is ultimately a cost of capital business. And so if, if you can improve on your debt margins and you can issue equity a little bit of valuation over time, um, you know, all else being equal, you're going to kind of be the surviving entity. You're going to be the entity that's able to grow. Um, and so I, I think over time we'll see that. But, you know, I, I, there's, most shipping companies are private. So to that end, there's a lot of room for those. I think there's still room for sm some of the smaller public companies. Um, and I think, you know, M&A will become most of what's happened has been investor-driven. So I think without that kind of emphasis, it is, it is challenging. Errol, in terms of the smaller private uh, companies, um, how do you approach investment opportunities around them and at the corporate level as opposed to buying the assets? And is there, is there room to, 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 to drive consolidation through the, the, the private ownership model? Well, I think, you know, Jeff laid out very good um, points about size is better really from the liquidity standpoint, and I think he, that was really well said. Um, I'd, I'd say it slightly differently for us and Tufton, and, you know, it's a great question because it's very core to what we look at at SHIP, our publicly listed vehicle in the London Stock Exchange. You know, asset diversification is another way. We see so many homogeneous fleets, and core to what SHIP is doing is being able to have that broad diversification across various asset classes. We were long containers, had very large exposure, which we ultimately sold at the beginning of this year. We increased our exposure to dry bulk, the gear dry bulkers in late 2020, very good timing again. Um, now we're increasing exposure to product tankers. And so having that ability to play various segments, I don't think you'd find many public owners being able to sort of just sit on cash, even though it might be the right time to sell in their respective market when they otherwise have all of the same asset class. And so we've found asset diversification to be very critical to our success. You know, <laughs> I don't want to just give a plug here, but, you know, Tufton, you know, SHIP has had a 17% unlevered, largely unlevered IRR since its inception in 2017. So I think that asset diversification as a means to achieve scale, to a lot of Jeff's points, you know, around liquidity is very well stated. So you're competing for capital as well as a public company, right? So you've got investors to please. So you, what you're saying, my takeaway from your comments is that, Errol, is that uh, your diversification across broad diversification, containers, tankers, is is uh, a plus for your investors. Yeah, I think I think we've had a, we've gone through 15 years where credit funds, large institutions have dominated the conversation, and those institutions wanted to call individual markets. The downside of that is. We've had homogeneous fleets. Many of them have been levered. And so when you have homogeneous fleets levered, so you've added operating, operating leverage to an already highly cyclical asset class, they just don't survive the down cycle in their respective markets. And so having that broad diversification, having that little to no leverage, I think positions us quite well. Really shipping's right. about when do you buy right. and when do you sell in any particular well, asset. Well, that's for sure. And I'm sorry. I'm, no, by no means I encourage me to break in, and I can't help myself. The, the but, best part of the yeah. The, the so, but uh, I think that's that's informational for our audience, which is this diversification is can be is becoming better accepted. I don't think that was always the case. Sitting and talking at Capital Link ten years ago it might it might not have been uh, the mantra. We found that I'll put air quotes around it, diversification between crude and product tankers. 
query whether that's real diversification. It's not like containers in bulk in the same uh, portfolio. But but uh, that used to be uh, not favored, let's say, by some equity investors. And, and uh, uh, we were, as our predecessor, but certainly since we were spun off, Seaways has been diversified. But we were probably a little more heavily crude. Now, the Diamond S acquisition you know, came with 50 MR tankers. We sold some, but we still have... 40 of them basically today. And we didn't know that they would be leading the tanker market upwards and because of geopolitical factors like what's going on, displacement and of, of patterns of trade in Europe because of the U- Ukraine. Of course we didn't know that was coming, but we knew that scale was important, as I previously said, and we believed that diversification was definitely not bad and probably good, uh, even for an equity as, as, I mean, creditors always like diversification, but generally, but, and I think that's been proven out. So I think that's a lesson for, for other ship owners is that, uh, you know, diversification, at least a moderate amount of diversification uh, can be a very positive investment message. And, and, you know, if I could just add the one comment, I think that in, its, in and of itself, we go through cycles, right? Like, if you were building up bigger companies, we'd the, the initial phase of that was bigger is better. And so you had a race to being the first ship owner to have 100 ships within the product tanker space. But correlation, whether you're an LR2, is all the way down, very high. And so, you know, your, your points around what you've looked to do and achieved, you know, is very well said. And we, we see it the same way, um, just more broadly being able to go outside of any asset class. So, Mike, that means you can pitch diversification in MA, so. <laughs> I, I was about to. Yeah, a great segue because I was to ask Michael if, if you think that, you know, kind of asset diversification is a way to potentially consolidate smaller uh, owners or, and create something uh, different. Yeah, so I think there's two things. I think if you – I think crude and products make sense together. I mean, you're dealing with largely the same counterparties, you know, similar assets. It's, it, it, that is, yes, it's diversification, and it, it's worked out very well this year in the case of, of INSW. Um, I think, you know, adding container or dry bulk in the U.S., if I'm an investor, you know, I might say, hey, this is the best dry bulk company. I'm going to buy this company. This is the best container company. I'm going to buy this company. This is the best crude and as long as the leverage is, you know, reasonable, or maybe maybe at a certain time where as an investor I want to buy a highly levered company, you know, I can kind of make that decision. And it's actually interesting, Errol, and I'm wondering, you know, with Tufton being in the U.K. and there's not a plethora of shipping companies to choose from, it actually probably is a big advantage that you're diversified. So people can get, you know, the shipping risk without having the extreme ups and downs that you can see within a specific sector. Certainly, and, you know, I think the most important issue that's, to, to really dive into is we're targeting investors who favor yield, yield certainty, yield predictability, right? And right. so not necessarily a trade for three or six months where we think dry bulk is going to be hot and I want to have the biggest fleet with the most leverage. Rather, I want to have a proper steward of capital who's going to survive through cycles over the next five, ten years, and I can park my capital in a very good public space. And I think in order to do that, you have to have the right setup, a fixed dividend, a low unlevered fleet, broad diversification. And I think when you combine those three very structured elements, you have a unique value proposition. Um, Now it's about growing that. Nitin, um, if I may ask from your perspective, um, how do you, you know, the earlier panel was talking about uh, other trends in the current market, environmental uh, regulation, ESG, sanctions, are, are, are these sort of external factors impacting decision-making on, on company size and potentially look to, um, you know, uh, have 
you know, a, a bigger setup to deal with operational issues or regulatory concerns? Yeah, of course. You know, the, the, all the environmental issues. Uh, sanctions is easy. Like uh, someone mentioned, binary is yes or no, so that's easy. Uh, the compliance on the environmental, the ESG part is, is a tricky one. Uh, you know, we, we have, uh, we are well diversified also. We have more than 20 bulkers and 10 ta 11 tankers and a passenger vessel as well. So we are always mindful of the fact that what are we doing next because uh, uh, with the, 20, uh, the next year CII, EXI, etc. coming up. So I think the focus would also change to technology. So we are looking at various options, how we can bring down, because we do have a relatively older fleet, average is about 12 years. So we are, we are mindful that, okay, you know, we have to do something quickly to make them viable, to keep them viable. So I think next, uh, in fact, uh, next uh, consolidation may get triggered by uh, the cost of uh, making these vessels environmental friendly or ESG compliant, if I may. So I've been looking at technologies. I've uh, seen some presentations myself where I'm actively involved with the providers. It can go as high as five to seven million dollars a ship. So that would trigger a lot of smaller smaller ship owners to look for partners uh, because banks may not be ready at the right time. Uh, Michael here is, of course, uh, you know, uh, procedure and principle, etc. We'll have to adjust to that as well. That'll, do these technologies actually work? Because a lot of technology in shipping have been nice to have, so to speak. You know, talk, talk about paints, talk about many things which, uh, you know, uh, they talk about increasing efficiency. But uh, the truth is these kind of things have to be uh, tested and this, because, uh, this directly involved with the engine uh, could be relatively easy to figure out. So uh, we are, uh, the short answer is because we are older fleet, we are mindful, uh, more mindful than everybody else, looking at uh, technological uh, you know, uh, options which we have currently. Uh, but I'm fairly confident from what I'm hearing and seeing, uh, by next year we will have answers to many of these questions. Uh, once we have the correct calculation as per CII, when we start noticing from 1st of January, we start calculating them. Uh, I'm not very worried, honestly, that what will exactly happen because uh, eventually, uh, because make no mistake, you know, get, letting a vessel go is not an option because you're letting a, a vessel go and you want to make again because the, the transportation has to happen. More than 90% of the goods are sh used shipping, right? So we cannot just uh, let the ships go. So we have to make them viable. Uh, uh, you know, to make a new ship, uh, you, if you want a ship with a 20,000 uh, 20, ton uh, steel, you are talking about burning 15 million tons of uh, coal, and I'm not even uh, I'm not even adding what a, a point does and everything else does to the environment. So we all have to be sit, we have to sit together, figure out a way, and then approve certain technologies which come on board, reduce and become ESG compliant. Banks have to support because a lot of uh, small ship owners, although making money right now, are repaying debt. They could be, you know, I would, if I was them, I would build a war chest because this would be a requirement. They have newer fleet, then yes, of course, for the next two, three years, they're not worried, but 2030 is around the corner. So there are, we have to be mindful that the, there are a lot of things at play here, right? And as owners and as, as finance providers, we all have to sit together and then, yes, but uh, consolidation will get triggered because of this, in my opinion. The smaller owners will have to find for either a financer or a bigger ship owner to, uh, to uh, comply with the technological emergency. Michael, your thoughts on, on that front and whether regulatory um, lumping all these topics of technology changes, environmental and so forth, into a, a regulatory, let's say, bucket 
Is, is that something that we could see sparking consolidation and also a bit of commentary because we've been discussing so far consolidation from a ship owner perspective. Could we see the consolidation being triggered from a ship manager perspective and, and see more um, uh, you know, uh, concentration in that respect? Well, I think you know, anytime you have regulation, um, it does favor larger companies, companies that have the bandwidth to deal with it, the, the time and money to, to research it and, and put it in there. So, yeah, I think that, that, that is probably given uh, a leg up to larger companies that have teams um, to, to handle it. And, and yeah, that, that, given that, that could be a future driver of consolidation. Yeah, just to give a real-world example, we have on staff uh, one engineer who is spending full time on the tech, the, well, the work around the dual fuel LNG, very low sulfur fuel oil switching uh, new builds we have in, in Korea. So that is building a tremendous amount of know-how that is re- relevant to uh, less emissions and, and, and the transition, et cetera. And we have, in addition, a full-time sustainability engineer uh, who does nothing but but work on what is happening out there and how Seaways can prepare its current fleet and any future fleet for the changing regulatory world. That's almost have to have stuff, but it's developing intellectual property, especially in the first case and second case, just capabilities that that we have. While I mentioned earlier, because of the scale, we can still say we have one of the lowest GNAs per day uh, per ship basis. Well, that's only possible for larger companies. And so, uh, to to Mike's point, I think it just it makes it easier for the bigger companies. It's definitely an advantage for the bigger companies. We've seen in the past also from a you know commercialization let's say of the fleet and 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 we've seen ship owners um, you know forming pools um, and trying to get better terms from the counterparties and so forth. Is this in effect something that could be a kind of backdoor to consolidation by seeing more and more uh, arrangements like this, or or is their use kind of more limited um, in scope in very particular asset classes? Uh, Errol, you want to comment? Sure. Um, I'm a bit mindful speaking about other companies, but um, you know what, what I would say is yes and no. Clearly, pools have offered smaller owners access to strong global commercial platform operations um, without sort of the inbuilt costs that they would have to incur themselves. So, you know, it's, it's an efficient way to gain access to the commercial operation in a particular vessel class or segment. Um, but on the other hand, you've seen, you know, just to take an example of a, of a large uh, Hafnia, right, has now grown into, they've been a leader on the consolidation space on the product tanker side, and now, they ha- now they're a leader on, just from size, on their pool. So I think you've seen it work both ways, um, an impediment to consolidation and actually a boon to help uh, the consolidation move. Nitin, your thoughts on that? Uh, well, uh, maybe yes or no, uh, yes or no. Uh, Pool is a is a great tool uh, for people who want cash regular cash flow as well because you know small, especially the smaller owner. But uh, do they actually help uh, not doing consolidation? I'm not too sure. Uh, they do help the smaller ship owner, yes, but not the larger ones. I that's at least my view. And Michael, from from the ship manager's perspective, um, shall we expect? 
um, any differentiation in that market. I mean, we've seen some private equity investment in ship managers. We've seen, you know, um, some of the independent managers looking to grow. Can that be a, a change in, in the approach uh, uh, ships are managed and, and affect the trend? Yeah, I mean, I think off the, the, the kind of the couple of reasons I mentioned off the top, uh, you know, whether it's uh, just because something's inexpensive or because there's a strategic rationale or a market share play, you know, those are very much, those would be very much factors in, you know, manager, whether commercial, technical, manager consolidation. Um, that's not an area that, that we at RMK spend a, a ton of time in. Um, but, but yeah, look, I think yeah, M&A there would, would sort of make sense in the traditional sense of, of why someone would do an M&A deal. And Jeff, before I ask for some of the final remarks, I want to touch a bit on the, on the financing side. And we, we, we spoke briefly about it uh, in earlier commentary. But does being public and being bigger uh, help on, on the relationship uh, with the lenders and having um, better terms on, on financing? Oh, well, I think being public is a two-edged sword. There, there's no question that if you ask any number of senior managers in public companies, I'm sure that on a given day, uh, they'd say, uh, this is a pain in the neck. You know, <laughs> uh, It's costly uh, and it uh, can be frustrating in terms of the short-term pressures you sometimes get. But to your point, clearly it's helpful in, in terms of credit, uh, access to credit. I think both banks and, and uh, bondholders you know, like their creditors to have the uh, ability to tap the equity markets. And then in terms of this panel's topic of M&A, there's, there's no doubt it opens up another pathway to getting larger. It's, uh, no one's taking private stock in, a, in an M&A, you know, so if, if you have – there's a challenge of the valuation, right? You've said it before, so that, that – that, but there's ways around that challenge. You find someone else that's trading at a similar price or now, you know, we're getting closer to, to NAV, as I mentioned before. So, you know, there opens up shift for shares deals as well as, you know, even something that's almost inconceivable with issuing equity. So, you know, there's no question that being public, while it is a challenge, does uh, provide another tool for consolidation. Michael, do you think the the, uh, the lenders could effectively be a factor and drive consolidation? Um... Yes, I mean I, I think that's part of the reason we saw some some consolidation, you know, over the past decade. Um, you know, right now across this entire shipping world, you, we've got leverage levels that are quite low. You know, I think we all know it's shipping at some time, hopefully not anytime too soon, but that will change. And, and yeah, I think you'll see lenders. Um, you know, help help drive consolidation. Um, you know, but that not to the same extent that I think the the equity investors did, um, unless we get into some you know fairly over levered sort of cash flow deficient situations, which hopefully we're a ways away from. Errol, your thoughts on the financing um, landscape and impact on these? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, shipping remains from the ship owning side a heavily capital-intensive industry. And so, therefore, whether it's private equity or debt lenders, right, um, you need your partners that you work with, and those are long-term relationships that are deeply institutionalized and built up over time. Um, ESG regulations, I think Michael on on the prior panel had said it very well, and Evan, they're choosing winners and losers at the end of the day, and so you need to be quite mindful of that at your own corporate and commercial level as you look forward. And while there might be implementation, say, 10 years away, Ultimately, a lot of that thinking is happening now and how they're thinking about the portfolios. And so the actual decisions are much closer than you might otherwise discount from what a 
press release may say of when something actually goes into effect. So I think it's just being very mindful that size is important, liquidity is important, it's a capital-intensive industry. You want to be on the front end, end of all of those changes that are coming. And let me ask, in other, in other sectors, private equity has um, invested and then consolidated businesses and, and created scaling opportunities by reducing costs and creating um, operational changes. Um, and to a certain extent, companies do seek private equity investors for that operational excellence and, and knowledge. Are there areas in, in, in the shipping um, sector where private equity could affect that change, or is it more you know, participation for the asset uh, sort of play? Yeah, you know, I, I'll, I'll jump in with one comment there. So fintech has been a very big place for private equity, has built a lot of enterprises. And, you know, the difference, these are companies trading at material premiums to book value. In our case, you know, premiums are discounts to NAV. And so shipping, at, unfortunately, the public markets have not – or at least historically speaking, have not valued public shipping companies at a premium to NAV, so it sort of handicaps, handicaps a lot of these consolidation efforts that public companies would otherwise look to use. Other asset classes, technology <laughs> coming to the front of the mind when valuations are so hot um, in the public markets, that's a ripe opportunity to sell a portfolio, merge a portfolio, et cetera, because you're just, it's value accretive. Um, so I think public markets ultimately play a very big factor in any asset class and private equity's ability to look at various both ways of entry and exit. Uh, Nitin, um, going into final remarks, and uh, if we were to be here in five years' time, um, what would you uh, think today the landscape of the market would be? Will we have seen and witnessed more uh, concentration? Well, uh from um, from our perspective, uh, if I have to you know digress a little, and of course answer in a holistic way, uh, finance of course is a very important part. But uh, all problems in the world have been triggered by banks in, from the beginning, isn't it? So it's may, how much you finance, how much you not finance is a decision that everybody has to take. Uh, we are we at GMS have a very distinct uh, advantage. We have actually ordered brand new vessels, and of course everybody is uh, aware of our recycling prowess. Uh, which we are the biggest cash buyers. So I can tell you from our perspective and our experience, we all have to work together to find, like I said before, find a solution to all these ESG-related problems going forward. Banks have to step up. Technology has to step up. Uh, we as owners have to, uh, uh, you know, uh, come in line so that uh, because recycling a ship is not an option, extending life of a ship with the correct technology, perhaps, is the right answer. So that is where everybody needs to start looking at. From my perspective, yes, uh, capital or lack thereof would trigger consolidations. Uh, mainly, I, I would say any area where I think a, uh, PE should uh, actually invest, I would say technology, because uh, that is the only answer that I see, at least, in the near, in the near foreseeable future. Thank you. Uh, Errol, prediction for five years from now? <laughs> <laughs> I would not. I mean, predictions are hard, 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 to, hard to go by. I think, you know, you have seen a rush of capital. Especially about the future, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, not for me, Jeff. You want to you give it a try? 
Are we wrapping up? Yeah, I think yeah. so. So is this I'm going to take the last word, Mike. So I was I was taking the last word. I'm going into reverse order. So yeah, we're we're extremely bullish. I mean, with interest rates going up, I mean, we say kind of the old economy is back, and you know, I think you look at shipping companies across the board again. Leverage looks good. Order books, even in the container market, are you know muted relative to what they would have been you know a, a decade ago in container. Or sorry, in dry bulk and tankers, you have extremely low order books. Um, you know, we think this is going to become a much more yield focused industry. And ultimately, it's really hard to go out. And if you're a man on the street, it's really hard to go out and buy and operate a ship. It's really easy to invest in INSW or another public company. And so eventually, that should lead to these companies uh, trading at premiums to NAV. We think that's kind of the direction we're going uh, for the foreseeable future. So I think we'll be at a, in a much happier place in five years about the, the shipping capital markets and kind of the investors that are involved. Yeah, it would, it would be nice if we, if we, after all this waiting, we finally got to the point where capital markets were getting, giving us the kind of valuations we'd like. And I think that I agree with the, the panel. I think well, there will be more consolidation, greater size and scale of companies, particularly public companies, and therefore attracting new investors that will value us on cash flow and open up uh, further opportunities for growth. And, and, and uh, so I look forward to that. I just would make one comment is that we – Implicit in all of our discussion has been consolidation is good. How do we get more of that? Well, I, I think I, I think we all agree consolidation can be good. But let's be clear, uh, M&A is very risky. So there's a risk of overpaying and there's a risk of, of execution blowups. Um, what, so what I think a takeaway for this group is, is that you know, look for companies that uh, are, are well advised Thank you, Mike, and others, uh, and well-funded, and and do smart deals that aren't overpaying, but the, but you can't overestimate the importance of getting the integration done afterwards. Uh, we we learned that last year. You know, beyond what the CEO and CFO can do, there's an army of people that are required to take on board a, a company where you're a, a consolidation where you're doubling the size of the company, and it's easy to screw up. I feel like we've developed a lot of capabilities, a real skill set there that's really beneficial. But let's be, you know, that, I think that's the takeaway is, is look for companies, if you're an investor, that, that have developed capabilities. We're not the only one. Uh, I'm proud that we got there, but uh, it, it's really important. And to hire the right lawyers. So <laughs> <laughs> I said well advised. I didn't just why I sort of said Thank you, you very much. Thank you.